Is a brand new episode of the On Deck TV show. Got kind of stumbled there for a Just second. a little bit, man. Holla at your boy Animal Brown, Animal underscore Brown, if you're looking for me on social media. I am Spike Lou on those same social sites. Holla at your boy. Back in the big studio, the big seat, the big chair, the big show. Absolutely, man. YouTube.com slash On Deck TV, man. You got to watch this one, guys. It's going to be a good one. Absolutely. Had a real special guest, man. Really enjoying. I hope to enjoy that, man. This should be a dope interview. Uh, before we get into the very special guest, though, Big Sean says your man's owes him $6 million. Yikes. All right. Also, Scarface is putting an end to his career with his last rap performance and also the biggest events of the weekend, the tragedy that happened at the Astro World Fest with Travis Scott. Condolences out to the families of the victims or the uh, people that lost their lives tragically at the Astro World Fest. Eight people over the weekend. Travis Scott was holding his festival in Houston and unfortunately uh, being trampled. Uh, just different various reasons and reports are coming out. Uh, concert goers lost their life there. He's Travis Scott has been receiving a lot of backlash uh, from this, from things from continuing the show to not having the correct protocols in place. Mm. Do you think it's fair or foul that Travis Scott has received backlash for what's happened at World? Uh It's fair. It's got to be. Uh, his name is all on this. Um, it's his event. Uh, but I will say this. There are more people you need to blame, but he's the face of it. So the, he's going to catch the heat coming from people. They came there to see him. Uh, now, the company that threw it was Live Nation. People, Everybody doesn't know that. That's not just common um, information. Uh, to those concert goers, this was a Travis Scott show, not a Live Nation show. So you're going to be, you're going to feel some type of way about that person that's performing and that put it together. Now, I will say the optics on social media of people filming, uh, people passing out or dying in the crowd and then panning up to show him performing are terrible optics. But I don't believe that you should blame him for keeping the show going, mainly because one, he stopped the show a few times when he saw people in his eyesight that had that needed medical attention. And he's been known to do that before. So that's number one. So he did stop the show. Number two, you don't ever really think that someone's dying in front of you in the crowd. That doesn't really happen that often. So you people pass out, they get too hyped, they get exhausted, whatever the case may be, dehydrated. Maybe they had one too many, whatever the hell they were on that night, and they pass out. Okay, cool. You don't think that somebody's actually dying in the crowd. Like, that's an extreme case. And quite frankly, I still don't understand what was the difference between this 
or you know uh, Coachella or Woodstock where it's 30, 40, 50,000 people doing the same thing. Why this one was any different? I still don't really understand that. But he does. He it is fair for him to catch some of the blame, but I don't think it needs to be squarely put on him due to the fact of what I don't know what people wanted him to do. I don't, did they want him to jump in the crowd and perform CPR? Like you're on stage in front of fifty thousand people, bro. Like I don't know what type of eyesight they think he got, but the nigga's not a superhero, bro. Well, they think he is. It's Travis Scott. He's a big star. They wanted him to notice it. They wanted him to stop the show. They wanted him to be nah. remorseful. Yeah, you can't do that, bro. Uh, Unfortunately, you can't. what happened when we went to the Cash Money show? What happened when Juvenile stopped the show because his mic wasn't working? Yeah, you, throwing chairs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So what do you think 50,000 teenagers are going to do if he stops the show three songs deep, bro? Right. And that's a lot of responsibility for a, what, 24-year-old? Nah, he's 28, 29. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, but to answer the question about the backlash, that's not Travis Scott's job. Travis Scott's job is to go do what he's doing. He turns up like part of his brand, the mosh pit, uh, all of the things Ragers. that come with raging and, and Travis Scott and what he has built to this point. Like, that's what he does. Like, he shouldn't be responsible for what you say, like stopping a show and seeing someone in an ambulance here. Like, I'm a rapper. Like, I'm up here to rap. Yeah. Then there's a lot more stuff that comes with being a rapper. And I, it, it may sound like, oh, you're giving him, uh, you're letting him off easy by saying, well, he's just a rapper. But the fact of the matter is, there's 60, 70,000 people that are like, he can't be the person that, that, that's responsible for everything to happen. Yeah, like, no. People are in place with jobs to do things that he can't do because I'm here to do my job. I want to rap. Yep. And sometimes what I do involves mosh pit and crazy, but you got police here, you got security here, there's supposed insurance to. here. Yeah, like yeah. All of these protocols are in place so I can do my job. So why no one else isn't being held responsible for doing that job? So I don't think it's fair that they are holding Travis Scott responsible. He doesn't have the ca- he, he didn't have the capability to make any of that stop. It's unfortunate that people lost their lives. Very. Uh, he may approach shows differently. And he's been arrested for this before, for inciting riots at his show. So it's not anything new to him. But, again, I still don't think that the responsibility falls back on Travis Scott for him to say, oh, man, you guys stop everything right now. Like, he doesn't have the power to pause everything and make sure that people on the ground are getting picked up. Like, this is a part of what you signed up for, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's terrible. It's a terrible situation. It's a tragic situation. They canceled the remainder of the Astro World weekend. He was set to perform again this coming up week, and he's canceled that. Um, and he's also come out and said that he's going to cover funeral costs, offer mental health resources, um, and also refund every ticket there. Obviously, that doesn't bring anybody back, but, like – I mean, he clearly was affected by it. He did a couple of videos on Instagram. And if you know Travis Scott in regards to me, not knowing him personally, but, you know, you know his brand. If you've watched his documentary on Netflix or anything like or followed his career, he's very, very in touch with his fans. To be the level of star that he is, he's very touchable, approachable. He, he brings people on stage. He talks to people on stage. He signs people's sneakers. Like, he does the whole – he walks through the crowd. You know, like, like, he do all of that shit. So that's why his fans rock with him so much so I know he probably feels like shit even though again I don't believe he had much in his control but being the face of this is Astro World this isn't Coachella and then something happened during your set nigga this is your festival dude <laughs> you brought Drake out motherfuckers went bananas like it was 
this was this has your name on it. He even is in charge of putting some of it together. Like he takes um he takes some responsibility because he put some of it together too. So it's it falls on his shoulder, but not solely though. I want people to stop they're trying to cancel him and I, well, I that's a little too much, even though the events was tragic though. Condolences to the family and, and, and friends of people who were lost. What do you think this means for his career? Speaking of canceling. I don't like, know, because they talked about how like what Nike should do, because he's got some sneakers coming out. They were they were coming out that weekend. And people know how Nike get down. You get the you get the notification, and they tell you where to go, and people rush to where to go. So it's like, do they need to rethink how that shit finna drop? And should they d- donate the proceeds of this Nike, sneaker? I don't want anything to do with this. Man, I'm listen, out. they finna delay the shit out of them if shoes, I'm Nike, bro. I'm out. Like, no, you're not out for good, though. Yeah, no, I'm you're out not. of the Travis Scott business. No, you're gonna put it on pause and put these on ice to maybe January, but I'm you're out. not out though. I'm out. Ain't no way. Travis hell. Scott ain't got enough. Like, what? stop. <laughs> Stop he got no what <laughs> charisma to hold this down. He can't bounce back from this. Did you yeah, see? That, did you see that video? Yeah, the video was nuts. Like, Several videos were nuts. Like, it, it, there's a certain and, and part of the thing why I say he can't stop it. And it's not his job. Like Travis Scott is a superstar, but he's not Kanye West. He's not Jay Z. Like if Kanye West is up there and this happening, he can stop that. Not hey, saying what do you that mean, he's though? a superpower, but Kanye West is going to notice that it's going to process different. And we'll get into the interview. And twice and how his he age. Thinks. Right, he's 44. And that was going to my point. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, he's 44 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he knows that he can stop that. Travis Scott hadn't grown into a point where I can bounce back from this with enough charisma to where people will still fuck with me. So if I'm Nike, I'm out. If I'm McDonald's, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not signing on for you to bounce back, bro. I ain't got time for you to figure this shit out. This is a big dog corporation. I spend a lot of money on you specifically. So shit will happen correctly. Like, nah, I'm out. You know what's crazy, though? This pub is just going to get him more listeners because that's how the world works. This, he's, his name is plastered over everything. If you didn't know who he was before this, you know now. He's more of a household name than he was last week. If, that, if that's even possible. Right. <laughs> um, man, moving on. Um, speaking of Kanye West, he appeared on Drink Champs this week. Epic two-and-a-half-hour-long interview. I'll get straight to it. Any, did you take anything away from the interview? What stood out to you? Um, the biggest thing that stood out to me was Nori improving his interview skills. Really? This interview. Yes. I think <laughs> Nori did it. You hate Nori. <laughs> no, I don't hate Nori. You hate on Nori. What the? F- uh, I'm yeah, not a hater. You hate, you hate on yeah. You definitely are a hater. But you Shit. hate on Nori and how he approaches drink champs because it's not as uh, you. It, it's less structured as you. You don't like the unstructured of it. I don't. Uh, but I do think that Nori usually he's cutting in and he figured out how to fall back and let the genius of what Kanye West had to say or who he is or what he stands for. He let that come out. And this is the second time after a long form interview that I'm more impressed with what I hear from Kanye West mm. when he's had two plus hours to speak. The Joe like, Rogan interview I think was good. That's right. And I thought one, the Breakfast Club was good too though. I didn't listen to the Breakfast Club. That's nuts. I don't Joe Rogan interview was great and I thought this one was great. And one of the biggest takeaways that I have from this is how the people around Kanye West have failed him. Like I didn't or tried to hate on the Walt Disney take or I'm Steve Jobs takes or I'm Elon Musk or whatever it may be. <laughs> he is that for like our community and black people and just listening to him talk and then listening to Elon Musk talk on Joe Rogan. Like they have similar thought processes, but niggas is around Kanye West telling him to beef with Drake or trying to decide what club to go to or these sneakers like his thought process and how big he thinks of things, he could be 
a way bigger asset than he is when thinking about the gap and thinking about Yeezys and thinking about like half an album of the year. Like his contemporaries and other races are going to Mars. Like Elon Musk and and, and uh, what's the dude? Elon name? Musk is a trillionaire on his way to being a trillionaire. Dude, we're not going to put him in the same category. Thought process. He put oh, okay. himself. I, in, I didn't put him in that category. He put himself in that category. With Bezos and Elon Musk. <laughs> For black people, that would be the equivalent. I would. I don't know no black trillionaires. He said he had seven billion. He said he uh, was more than everybody. Some pretty significant people in a text thread. He said he was more <laughs> worth more than all of them combined. He was talking shit. So that. Black version of that Elon Musk and, and the Amazon Bezos, that is Kanye West. Unfortunately, we listen to him talk about the gap and we listen to him talk about Yeezys. When these people are literally flying out of space, now I'm not saying that Kanye West needs to try to go to Mars, but the housing plans that he has in Wyoming, nope. that's brilliant. A lot of the stuff that he talks about that he doesn't really focus on or he gets spread too thin with doing bullshit and this is what he called it bullshit I think he should be able to focus on and have more experts around him to help him with more impactful things other than the bullshit that he worries about that's what I took from the interview this was one of the first drink champs that I've seen straight through of course y'all know I'm a big yay fan that's my guy I just wish Nori was a little bit more informed um, he cut he cut Kanye off because he said CLB to clarify that he was referring to certified lover boy Nori, we know what the fuck CLB is when he's referencing Drake, dude. You he's don't need to cut Nori, him off mid-sentence. Nori, Nori didn't know that. To, he was clarifying for himself. That's why I said he needs to be more informed. Like, how can you talk him. about Drake and Kanye and not bring up the, the, the Calabasas album that they was finna come out with? What happened to that? Where is that at? Is that going to happen? Like, those are the questions that you ask when you're informed. Or at least, if it's not going to be Nori, then EFN needs to be the informed one, and you let Nori be the wild one that, uh, make some noise. Like, he know how to say make some noise, nigga, but he don't know about shit that he's supposed to know to make to push the interview forward. I need somebody that can pull... He, he makes it comfortable for them, which is what his gift is. But I need somebody that can pull the information out of the person that they're talking to and can steer the conversation in some type of direction. I know that's difficult to do with Kanye because he'd be all over the place. But at least still, like, don't let niggas forget what they were saying. And I mean, all that shit be whack to me, dude. But but the, but the, the interview was solid for the most part. I just wish it was somebody else. That's somebody all. else besides Nori? Yeah, for sure. Did you watch the Joe Rogan interview? I did not, not yet. That. His should be too long. Pause. Like it's like five hours. I'm like, I ain't got time. It's it about the same length as this one. Um, but I think Kanye West, he he thrives in those. Nori, like he ain't the type of person. I get what you're saying. That is a different type of interview. But I don't think that Kanye West needs those type of interviews. Like he, those are so good, bro. Like you just said, because Joe Rogan is a better interviewer than. Nori, would you say that? Yeah. So th that's what I'm saying. And I thought Breakfast Club did a much better job of telling a linear story to where you can get questions, answers, and you can still let Kanye be Kanye, go on rants, but talk his shit. He ain't get that comfortable, though. That's the thing. So that, that's the, the trade-off that you get with someone like Nori. Like, the only way that artists get that comfortable like they do is yeah. if it's Nori. I can't go to the and breakfast. And drinks involved. And yeah, like, like and, and, and they know it's Nori. Like, they, they know that he's not coming in with any malice like when i ask about clb like he explained that he was like i don't know bro he's i'm in my own world too he's like you're a pretty big star but i'm a pretty big star in my world like i don't know about all this shit the acronyms and stuff that y'all talking mm. about nori explained that right after he said that's that. some slow but with the, i mean but that's him though and they don't know going into breakfast club that Angela, you ain't finna hit them with some weird ass rumor Charlemagne ain't finna hit them with something crazy so you on the defensive in there, you can't be, or you're not on the defensive, and that's what leads to a better, more organic conversation for me. I don't want to hear him ask about 
the Calabasas shit and drink. Nah, you I, get, you, I guarantee that. that answer would have been fire. I, I, I guarantee wanna, it. But I don't want to hear that, though. He was, he was being so much more informative with the stuff that he was talking about and just glazing over. Like, I wish someone was there to ask him more about the, the, the stuff outside of hip-hop that he was That's talking fair. about. That's fair. That too. Like, I would have loved that. Uh, but I like the interview overall. I was I, I walked away impressed. Uh, Kanye West, I do feel like the people around him. My biggest takeaway, though, again, the people around him have failed him, because uh, he is that that when people it's not light when they say that he is a genius. Because I do think that he has thought processes of geniuses and similar people. I just don't think that they're being focused in the correct positions shout out to my boy i knew three minutes in when he said uh what he say? he said i was uh sitting next to oprah at the ralph lawrence show talking to steven spielberg when he said that i said let me get my popcorn let me pause this and go get my snacks because i'm gonna be here for a while because he's gonna put on a show and that's exactly what he did interview of the year kanye comes through album of the year all of the above god damn it let's get it um, speaking of that, fuck it. Interview of the year is coming up right now with Wendy Day with On Deck TV show. Goddammit, you guys don't want to miss this. She gives us crazy jewels about being an independent artist, and we get to talk about some of the big headlines concerning people's contracts. It's dope. Don't want to miss this. Don't go nowhere. On Deck TV show coming up next. Sure. And we are back. It's the On Deck TV show. It's your man Animal Brown checking in. Absolutely. I am Spike Lou. I told you we had a special guest in the building, not back for the second time, but actually back for the third time. This is the trilogy. <laughs> First three-time guest in history. Absolutely. 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 We've got a very special guest. I mean, Trapper guest. of the Year four times in a row. <laughs> you already know. <laughs> uh, we've got Wendy Day from the Rap Coalition. If you don't know about Wendy Day, number one, go back and check our old interviews. But I'll give you the cliff notes really quickly. Um, she helped broker deals from the likes of Eminem, Master P, Cash Money, Twister, David Banner, just to name a few. Um, she runs the Rap Coalition. She's got a ton of new things popping up. We, Wendy, we wanted you on the show today, not only to get into what you've got coming up moving forward, but also wanted to talk on some current events that we've got floating around in the news, some people's contracts looking a little iffy. And um, also wanted to just kind of talk about the current landscape for independent artists in 2021. Sound good? Sounds fabulous. <laughs> um, I guess first things first, last time we spoke with you was 2015. You gave us a number. Wow. You said, I know, right? It's crazy. Look, we're in a new spaceship now. We didn't right. have this before. It's the big show now. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, we asked you how much does it cost to get an independent artist off the ground. You referenced Machine Gun Kelly. Said it'd be about 150000 give or take, if you really want to make a real push. Has that number changed the since then? Is it more? Is it less? It's about the same. Nope. It's about the same. I mean, that's for marketing and promotion. That doesn't really include um, recording. You know, that takes a little bit of investment. So maybe it's gone up a little bit. But um, no, pretty much it's gotten easier since 2015. There's less gatekeepers. We can go direct to consumers. Social media and digital have taken over everything since that time. Um, in 2015, we still cared about blogs somewhat. Um, now with my artists, we don't really go to blogs. We go to influencers on social media on instagram tiktok okay so, so they make it changed up a little bit they make a dance to the song or how does that work it doesn't necessarily have to be a dance anymore but yes that's that's the reference point that most people get yeah. um but it doesn't have to be a dance 
in in today's world. Remember the crate challenge? That wasn't a dance, and that spread like wildfire. Spread like wildfire, two days. It was nuts. Now, when we were setting this up, you mentioned that this was your busy season, and you mentioned yes. setting up the campaigns. Let the people know what a busy season means to you, what that consists of. Absolutely. Um, most of my clients drop music in the fall because now that COVID is sort of, I don't want to say it's over, but it's lessened. People are out and about. Um, most importantly, college students went back to school and this is homecoming season. So there's a lot of big games. There's a lot of homecoming events. So we can go out into the real world and do marketing and promotion like hand to hand. And we can go onto a college campus and there might be a football game that's attracted anywhere from 10,000 people to 100,000 people, mm -hmm. more than or what is usually on that campus. Mm -hmm. So it's a really great time for an efficient spend of money to go out on a promo tour. So fall is very, very busy for most artists on the independent tip. So how does that work? So you know a big football game is going down. You get with the local promoter in the city and say, hey, I want you to guerrilla market and pass my yes. artist stuff. Okay. Yes, exactly. Nice. And the games are mostly on Saturdays and Sundays. Mm -hmm. So you can be out in the months of September through November every weekend on a different campus marketing and promoting. You can be giving out music like download cards. You can be shaking hands, kissing babies. <laughs> Usually you've got somebody along that can film the whole ordeal ordeal in a positive way and then it's getting uploaded to your social media your youtube account your um instagram your facebook anywhere where your fans might be and you're showing them that you're out and about and you know talking to different people and telling people you know who you are where you're from what your story is mm -hmm. it's just a really great way to find a whole lot of people all in one place, all in a good mood, all there to party and have a good time. The, um, I, I forget what they're called, where you meet before the football in the parking lot where people tailgate. are grilling. There we go, thank you. You can tell I'm not a sports football person, right? Fans right here. The tailgate <laughs> parties are amazing. We give out um, anything from styrofoam cups to water bottles to, you know, whatever, so that the people that are there will remember the opportunity of getting to meet the artist and get a little take home something or other. Sometimes a t-shirt, sometimes a charger of some sort for their phone. It's just a great way to interact with people in a positive setting and be able to um, create a memory for the person that's meeting. We usually do flyers. So depending on what schools are, are playing, we'll have flyers in the color of one team and the flyers in the color of another team. So it's the same flyer. One might be purple. The other might be red and black, depending on who's playing. Mm -hmm. And it's just a great way um, for artists to give a piece of, of, of um, material out to somebody where they can take it home. That's got maybe a QR code or lists all the different sites where you can go and check out their music nice. and artists very often will sign that like in a silver sharpie so it becomes a souvenir as well mm. i find it interesting that even in this digital space it's still important to get out the house and, and be in front of extremely that yeah. that face-to-face -face thing and it's it's important in politics as well 
Like if, if somebody was running for office and couldn't meet and greet people, it just wouldn't be the same. Mm -hmm. There's something about meeting somebody in person where you can feel their energy and their vibe and it just doesn't occur digitally. I don't, you know, I don't know why that is, but it is. With the new generation, do you have a hard time convincing some artists of that? Do some of them yes. believe that they can sit on Instagram and and yes. get everything you said done? How do you get Yeah, because artists have gotten a little bit lazier than they were. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years, so I've had the opportunity to see everything I feel like, right? Yeah. And artists today, I guess because they feel like it's hard, but for those of us that have done it, like through the nineties and the, and the double O's, this is it's so much easier today, yeah. you know? So I, I look at artists that say, gee, this is a lot of work. And it's like, oh, is posting on Instagram wearing you out? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I know, I know I, I, in the intro, I had mentioned some of the artists you work with that are now, now all household names and legends and all that good stuff. But you, you work with strictly independent artists now or do you work with majors as well? No, um, I work with both. Um, mm -hmm. I just did a deal for um, a, a duo two female rappers out of New York called Girl Code. Um, they're signed to 300. And I'm helping an artist out of Atlanta called The Letter M who's also signed to 300. So they don't necessarily have to be independent, but both of those artists started out independent in order to get their leverage up to get the kind of deal that would lead to success. What, what, how, my bad, I just thought about this. When you said 300, I know 300 is up for sale. Correct. They're telling they're telling me that that's just a rumor, but I'm hearing it from lawyers, and lawyers don't usually gossip. So mm. I I I have heard that they're looking to sell. I I don't know that for a fact. Nobody's given me any inside information, but I do know that the tax code changed, and if they are for sale, I hope it happens before 2022 <laughs> because capital gains taxes are going to change so for the worse for the person selling. Yep. So I'm hoping that if it is for sale, that it does happen in 2021, just for tax reasons. $400 million price tag, allegedly. Absolutely. Exactly. So I heard um, on, on Instagram that, or Twitter that P from QC wanted to buy it. Therefore it must be true clearly. because you know, we read it on, on, on Twitter. <laughs> That's funny. So when a group like girl code comes to you or another artist, how do, how do you know that they're ready for you? How do you vet the people that come to you and even prepare to take their money and start doing your work? I, I, I think it's experience. And it's funny because I turn away more people than I work with. Mm -hmm. for, for me, I don't have to like the music, but I have to feel like I can bring value. If I don't feel I can bring value, I can't work with somebody. And it doesn't mean that they're not talented. It just means that when somebody comes to me, they're entrusting me with a quarter million dollars and that's a lot of friggin' money. Yeah. So I know that I have to deliver. And if there's an inkling that me or my staff can't deliver, I, I don't want to take that on. Like I've, I've worked too hard to build my reputation and one oops yeah. could really kill my brand. So I'm super selective I think that's a perfect as to what we what take on. And then I also have a team now. Like when I was sitting with you guys, I was working alone. I've got a staff of seven now. Nice. So if, if I think something is really fire, 
and my team thinks it's ass, mm. <laughs> I can't really bring it to them and say, okay, work this even though you don't believe in it, you know? Mm. So I've got other people now that get to weigh in and say, yeah, we think we can work with this or we can't. Awesome. And then of course the artist personality has a lot of weight because you could have the greatest music in the world, but be like a supreme narcissist and not want to listen. And that happens a lot more than you would think. Mm -hmm. So we always sit down with the artists before they bring us on board and we make sure that they're coachable and that they're willing to take direction from an old white lady, you know, because mm -hmm. it could really backfire, you know, that's a great point there. I have several it questions. Really about, backfire. I have several questions about how you develop the team that, that but I want to not leave the perfect segue there and talk about the Karen civil joiner Lucas situation, because a lot of what you just explained from the outside looking into us seemed like what was going on, his expectations and what he wanted from her for the amount of money that he paid, he didn't get it and she just didn't agree with that. So my question is, how do you make what you do or maybe what Karen does, how do people make that less objective to where an artist can't come and say, I, I, you didn't do I your job? I think that you know, 99% of what we do as consultants, and I can't speak for her because I really don't know her. I've never really met her and I've never worked with her. Of course. But I know that what I do 99% is managing expectations. Mm. And it's really important to communicate thoroughly with your client and understand what is it that they're expecting and what can I deliver? And if you can't, sometimes it's just better to cut ties refund their money mm. and call it a day. And I do that. I can't say I do that all the time because I, I know not to, not to get that, let something get that far gone without addressing it. Like, I think it's been something like seven years or eight years. Yes. And I don't understand why this didn't get addressed the first time he started tripping on social media, which was back around the time. I think that, that, I was talking with you guys last, or maybe a couple years later. Yep. Um, I, I don't understand why she didn't address it then because I think it was Cameron yep. was tripping on her and then Joyner jumped in and piled on. Yep. And I don't understand why she wasn't on a plane in front of them saying, okay, what were your expectations? Where did this go wrong? Mm -hmm. Because for me, that shit matters. Like I don't want anybody out there saying, Wendy took my money and didn't deliver. Mm. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and if she couldn't deliver going into it, why would she take him on as a client? I'm not saying right, that's right. the case. I really don't know. I'm, I'm kind of distanced from their situation. Do, does that make it harder sometime for you? Like, do you come in? I, Karen Sibyl was a big name, which is why that story got out. But do you find that you ran into a lot of skeptical people because of experiences that they've had with people who were not as successful as you? Um, no, I, I, I don't. And I've been pretty fortunate because I'm able to deliver, not saying that she can, again, right, I don't right, know right. her, but I'm able to deliver. So I, I don't run into people that are skeptical. Like most people they, that do research, they know what my track record is. 
They know what I've delivered. They're able to go and talk to the artists that I've worked with. I'm not shy, but I'm also not really out here taking on opportunities to interview and bragging about what I've done. Like I let the work speak for itself and there's really not any confusion about what I've done or what I can do. Do people call me and say, okay, I hired this person to do this job and they ripped me off. So now I want to hire you. Mm. That happens all day, every day. Mm. Cause there's just so much bullshit out here. There's so many snakes out here, but usually when they come to me, even if they're a little bit gun shy, I'm aware of that. And I explain to them exactly what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it, what's going to happen. And then as we move forward and they see the results are exactly what I predicted, they tend to get more comfortable with the situation. Mm. And I think the thing that's most important for any client to understand is this is not a fast flip. This is a very slow flip. And that's especially important for anybody that comes from the real estate world. We can flip houses very quickly and make a lot of money. In the music industry, it can take anywhere from 18 months to three years just for you to build enough of a following regionally to start really making money. Mm. So if you're investing a quarter million dollars into your career or you've got an investor in investing that as a consultant, I can't allow them for one second to think it's going to be a fast turnaround. You're not going to break even until at least 16 to 24 months. Mm. And if you're not telling your client that you're doing them a disservice because after two or three months, they're going to be like, why aren't I famous yet? (laughs) So you've got to really, you know, you've got to really let them know what what expectations are real. And I do that before they hire me. Mm. If you're expecting me to hit you with a magic wand and you're going to be Drake tomorrow, I'm not your girl. I can't do that. I don't know anybody that can do that. Does being that blunt work? Does it scare some people off? Some artists, the price scares a lot of people off. Well, even just being that blunt, though, not even the price, just being that blunt with them and telling them, Hey, man, this is going to take. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Because most people in this industry aren't transparent and blunt and honest. Mm -hmm. Most people will come to you and say, You're the dopest thing I've ever heard. I can make you a star. You know, give me X amount of dollars and you'll be famous tomorrow. Like there's a lot of bullshit out here. And I think the people that gravitate towards me are the ones that have more business acumen and realize that, okay, nothing is fast. It takes money to make money. So maybe what she's saying is real. You know, one of the reasons that I started telling people what this costs is I was watching a lot of my peers say, okay, hire me for five grand a month and I'll start working with you. And then all of a sudden, like four or five months passed and then the person ran out of money and nobody had any success at all. Mm-hmm. The The worker didn't have success. The artist didn't have success. The money guy didn't have success. And then everybody was mad at everybody. So I took a step back and said, oh, okay, when I worked with this guy, we had to invest $100,000. When I worked with this guy, it took 125. Mm. When I worked with this guy, it took 150. So if I tell the world it takes 150 and it only takes 100, 
I'm going to look like a superstar. That's true. But if I tell you it takes a hundred and you spend one fifty, all of a sudden, you know, I'm a fuck girl because (laughs) you had to spend more money than you thought it would cost. Yeah. Um, uh, that's funny. Um, I've heard you speak. Well, actually two things. You, you just mentioned Drake, which is my favorite rapper currently. And I know that you were working with trouble at one point in time and he had a record with Drake. Um, yes. Working with Mike Will. How were you working with him at that time when he had that feature? <clears throat> I was. How difficult yep. was that to get Drake? What's that process like? Um, we didn't we didn't actually go get Drake. Oh. We built a buzz for trouble that was really strong. And the thing about Drake that makes him so genius is when you get to that level, you lose the underground just naturally. Right. right. Your fans become a little more mainstream your fans are more like um, like Family. if you're a Drake fan, all your friends are Drake fans, right? right. It, it's sort of like everybody jumps on the bandwagon. You don't know who the real fans are and who's there because their friend is a fan, right? It's just the nature of somebody that's a superstar. And Drake is so brilliant because he will see somebody blowing up on the underground like the Migos yeah. or Trouble or whoever, and he'll jump on a song with them, which is sharing his fan base with that artist, but it's also bringing him back to the underground so he can go scoop all those new underground fans that thought, oh, Drake doesn't talk to me. Drake isn't for me. Drake doesn't care about me because I'm just a little fan. And then here he is doing a song with their favorite new artist and it's giving him back that underground fan base again and it enables him to last longer than what most artists do in terms of their career yeah um yeah and and you see that because this run is crazy and that's that's part of it i remember puff used to do that puff used to always stand by whoever was wayne yeah Wayne Wayne exactly you know when he was at his height did that there's certain artists that just gravitate back towards the underground and i think it's natural i don't I don't think he's sitting there, you know, doing a science experiment saying, okay, let me go grab these people. You know what I mean? I think he just, he's a fan. So he's listening to what's coming up. And when he feels something, he's like, man, I like that dude. Let me go, let me go do something with him. You know, one of Trouble's closest friends when I was working with him was The Weeknd. And he never reached out and said, hey, Abel, we're personal friends come get on a song with me. What we did was we blew trouble up. We discounted everybody around us and we got him to a point where he was bubbling. And then his friends came to him like Young Thug and Fetty Wap and Future who were superstars at that point in time and said, let me get on a track with you. And at that point, it wasn't a handout because he was bubbling in the South. Mm. So it was like, okay, he was at a point where it made sense for them to do a song, but the upside is we didn't have to pay for it, and it was easy wow. to clear because he had a buzz. Do you still work with Trouble? I don't. Okay. It's not fun for me. Once somebody gets signed, he got signed to Interscope. Okay. Once somebody gets signed to a major label, it's it's kind of like everything changes, and it's not me being anti-major. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not anti-major. I am pro-independent, but it becomes, like when I was first working with him, it was us putting together a plan and going out and, and, and getting it like going out and making things happen. And once you get to a point where 
people know who you are and you're starting to become a star, it switches to you staying in the office and just answering the phone mm. because the opportunities come to you. And that's not fun for me anymore. I, I don't, I don't want to just sit back and answer a phone. I'd rather build something from the ground up. I love the underdog. I love educating artists. Once their, once their career is on a trajectory of success, I just feel like there isn't really much for me to do anymore. Mm. There's more money and there's more opportunity for me to advance, but I'm not driven by that. I, I like I like the underground. I like I like the bricks. Yeah. I like to do the work. The process of getting in the mud. Have you ever thought about because I, I when I listen to your interviews and and some of your videos on Instagram when you're giving advice, I feel like your advice sounds like it could be applicable to damn near any startup type. Have you ever thought about expanding rap coalition to different genres of industry or different business of you know, industry? I, like podcasts? I, I haven't, and here's why. Like I'm driven by passion. Okay. I love, like I still listen to rap music. So mm -hmm. there's a passion in the music and yes it, i could probably you know build a tv show or build an app or build a restaurant right. right it's just not fun for me like one of the things that i'm doing like my side hustle um i used to flip real estate and it's not profitable to flip real estate right now mm -hmm. right so i'm building a co-working space and while i love learning about it and i love doing it it doesn't wake me up at six o'clock in the morning. Like, Oh, I got to go do this. Yeah. Whereas the music still does. Like I love working with artists. One of my artists today that I'm working with got a plaque and he came to my office and he opened the plaque and his eyes just like he was shining mm -hmm. and he was so excited and so happy. And there's a genuine happiness that I feel helping an artist get to that level that I never got in real estate that I never got like in a relationship with, you know, like a boyfriend or whoever right. it's, it's something about rap that drives me forward. It's like this passion in the energy and the music and the lyrics and the beat. There's just something there that keeps me going. Real quick, before we get back to a couple of these um, headlines, I heard you mention, because we have a lot of independent artists that are grinding, hustling, listening to the podcast. You mentioned the two artists, two of the artists that you're working with, one from Atlanta, one from New York. Those are two big cities where there's a lot going yes. on, a lot of industry, a lot of business. What about the person that's from Chattanooga or the person that's from, you know, fill in the blank? The, the artist that I just mentioned with the plaque, he's from Karen Crow, Louisiana. Oh, shit. And you've probably never heard of it. I have no where it's it's from? one exit off of a highway just north of Lafayette. Um, I, I, I've never asked him what the population is. I've been there with him. And if you go too fast, you go right through it. It's one of those types of towns. Wow. There probably isn't even a Walmart there. That's how small it is. Um, so you don't have to be from a big town. You just have to put in the work and you've got to have the investment. So if you don't have the money yourself, you've got to find somebody who's going to believe in you and invest in you. Mm. And that's not easy. No, not, not 150 bands. No. <laughs> with, lately with all the artists that have came out and how the music business has expanded. Have you been surprised lately? Like anybody that you passed up on or that you didn't want to work with, or that it just didn't work out. 
and you're like, oh, oh, no, man, I don't think that's going to work. And then you look up and you see them all over social media or bigger influencer mm. than you would have expected it to be. Has that happened? No. I've worked with people where I didn't understand the direction they were going. Um, Fulio is a great example. I've okay. worked with Fulio, and I didn't understand that whole um, – I understand battle because I'm from that era and I understand dissing people on, on songs. Right. I don't understand shooting at people or putting yourself in a position to be shot. Gotcha. So I don't Ooh, understand yeah. when yeah. the violence yeah. comes yeah. into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was worried that he'd be dead by now mm -hmm. and it made it very difficult to work with him. So I haven't worked with him in a couple of years and, and I wish him well and I hope to God nothing happens to him, yeah. but yeah. he puts himself into a position where people grow really angry and want to shoot at him. Gotcha. Do, does he listen to you when you tell him that? Like no. you're making it. <laughs> no. Okay. No, no. I don't mean to laugh, but okay, I get it. Yeah. I understand. Does he no. have anyone around him that tells him that, that he listens to? Probably not. Apparently not. Yeah, I, I don't know. I haven't worked with him in a few years. Like when I started with him, he was brand new. Right. He had been rapping like maybe six months or a year. So he was 19 at the time. Um, I lasted about a year before, you know, he, we didn't see eye to eye mm -hmm. and he didn't understand that my goal was to keep him alive. And his goal was to get Instagram views. Get hot. Yeah. Um, Speaking of back to kind of current events, uh, we've seen a meme floating around about Summer Walker's alleged deal. They're saying she makes 15 cents off every dollar, uh, no masters, no publishing. When you see that, that's normal. That's what I was just about to say. Because to us, that's, that sounds wild. It's called a record deal. <laughs> <laughs> Even in 2021, still? Yes, yes. It's called a record deal. You know, deals, when you sign to someone and you don't have you don't go out and get leverage first, meaning you don't, um, let's compare her to like Megan the Stallion, right? So mm -hmm. Megan signed to a baseball player who put money up, got her hot, and then did a deal with 300. And I understand she's not happy, but that's not my point. Right. My point right. is she had leverage when they did that deal with 300. I'm guessing with Summer, she didn't really have any leverage and she was probably brand new to this. No one probably knew who she was. So when they signed her, they got her for a lower rate than if she had put out her own music and built a little bit of leverage and then did a deal. But 15 to 18% is average. And, you know, back in the 90s, that record deal was based on wholesale CD prices, which was $12.86 if I remember correctly. So an artist was getting 15% of like $13. Well, today a stream is 0 0.007 cents on Spotify. So if you're only getting a small percentage of that stream, I could see where an artist would be frustrated. Mm -hmm. So the deals, they've changed a little bit in some circumstances, but not like they need to and not like they should. Mm -hmm. How much and I'm amazed at I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, I was just wondering how much larger is that number for an artist that on has leverage? Deal. Yeah, for an artist that a has lot. leverage. Wow. A lot. <laughs> so if if you've got leverage um in 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 trouble situation, 
we had made um, him like 1.2 million or 1.4 million in a year. So when he went to Interscope through Mike Will, the deal had to start at at least double that because Mm. he could, you know, he could do 1.2 or 1.4 on his own. So So if Interscope was going to step in and sign him, the deal had to start at like 3 million or it wouldn't have made sense for him to sign. Gotcha. Well, that that just leads me to another question. We just recently saw Meek Mill tweeting about I'm going to post my contract because I haven't seen a dollar off album sales. That doesn't make sense to me. How does something like that happen if that is something that's happening? When a label signs you, um, Waka Flocka also said that a couple of years ago. And every now and again, there'll be an artist who who complains about their their contract. But the reality is that when you sign to a label and they invest money into you, you have to pay that back out of your share. So let's say um, you're a record label and I'm an artist. So you sign me and you say, okay, Wendy, I'm going to give you $100,000 or half a million or whatever you deem is worthy to give me. And we have an 85-15 split, meaning you make 85% of the money, I make 15%. I have to pay you back out of the advance, the marketing, the recording budget, all of the things that you spend to, to, to build my career. I have to pay back out of my 15%. So you're still making all the money until I recoup. And then once I recoup the money that's spent, then we split the 85, Mm. 15, and I get 15 cents on every dollar. But until I pay everything back, I don't. So an artist like Meek Mill, if his budget and they spent, you know, $2 million or $5 million on him and he wasn't able to pay that back out of whatever his share was, when he went and, and delivered the next album, he would be in the negative mm-hmm. and, still, and still have to keep recouping. Wow. So artists make money from shows and they make money from advances. And that's the label game. So if he signed to a record label and didn't know that and then didn't expect that, it's a little hard for me to feel sorry for him because the knowledge was was out there when he signed. Gotcha. You know, I don't blame somebody like Too Short or E40 or Slick Rick because back then the knowledge wasn't mm. wasn't out there like that. Yeah. But with Meek's generation, like we were all talking about what it was. So I don't understand how he would have missed that. Maybe he thought he was different. Maybe he thought that <laughs> he wouldn't be the one to be taken advantage of. Right. But it's a it's a it's a sharecropper's game. So that advance that you get if you're a trouble and you've you've grinded a million, so they're like, We got three million for you. You don't pay now that. Now you gotta pay back. that back. They do or they don't? You gotta pay that back. Wow. If you're gonna Anything you advance is recoupable unless you've got the power in your contract to say, okay, that's not recoupable. And that's really hard to do. Okay. So okay. you've got to be like of the Adele status or the Drake status to get unrecoupable advances. And it's never going to be all the money because if they can't make it back, why would they spend it on you when they could go over here and spend it on the next artist? Mm. No. Is that Rick Ross that the tab is owed to, or is that 
the larger Interscope. label Interscope that he it would be to. it would be Rick Rock for MMG. we're talking about Meek Mill specifically. Yeah. Would it be MMG? Then? I think that was Warner Brothers. I'm not sure, yeah, but I think, I think so. it was Warner. Yeah, yeah. So he would have to recoup whatever money Warner gave to Rick Ross oh, would have to be go. recouped. So he'd be recouping out whoever he was signed to. And I haven't seen his contract, right. so I don't want to just start naming names right. because so this, that's not fair. So this is part of the problem that the people under Kanye West said. They said that Correct. a lot of money was allocated for their albums and he used Correct. it just to do whatever he wanted to do. Correct. Does that happen a lot or is that just a superstar? It, it happens Western? all the time because you're you're especially with an artist owned label because you're trusting somebody that doesn't really run a record label to control your budgets. Mm. So if your label president isn't great with money, they could be spending money in the wrong places. Not to say that's what happened. Again, I don't know right. the situation between Kanye and his artists. So I don't want to, but speaking generally, if whoever is in control of the money doesn't allocate money properly, I could see where that could be a problem. I remember back in the day, um, I used to get so mad because I'd be trying to pull somebody out of a deal and I'd be looking at the marketing budget and I would see where, where labels were spending money. And because I was such a hip hop head, I knew that some of the stuff they were doing was just crazy. It wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, well, okay, great. You spent half a million dollars on promoting this artist, but 300,000 of it was a waste. You did shit that just didn't matter mm -hmm. like to, to real hip hop fans. So why does that artist have to pay you back? Mm -hmm. And as an artist, you're at the mercy of whoever signed you. Yeah. Now let's look at that. Like, let's turn that around for a second. Let me play devil's advocate because if I'm a record label and nobody really knows who you are and I'm taking a risk and I'm going to invest my money in you, I should get a big return on investment because I'm taking a risk. Mm -hmm. You that know, makes sense. No, I get it. That, they, so they use that for the 360 deal from, too. When you look at it from the label side, it's, it's oppressive and I argue that it is too oppressive, mm. but I also understand because like that person is taking a risk with their money. Like Dane Dash took a risk on Jay-Z. Yeah. He just won. Mm. I can I can name many, 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 many people that took risks on artists and lost right. everything. Yep. I yep. know more people that have lost than won. So it, I, I can, I can kind of see both sides. You mentioned Kanye. I feel like when he posted his contract on Twitter, did you, did you read that? I did <laughs> the entire. Con I did. I read it all, and it was very, it was very difficult because he posted it out of order. Uh, and I got a shout out. I don't remember who it was, but there was one person on Twitter that went and gathered all the pages checked all the numbers, made sure that all the, cause it was like six contracts, right? Yeah. Made sure all the pages matched the right contract so that I could read it easily. <laughs> and his contract really wasn't that bad. Like mm -hmm. certainly compared to another artist who wasn't of Kanye status, like he, he was, he was complaining, but he didn't really have like, a hundred percent right to complain about what I thought was a relatively decent deal. Mm, 
Okay. Sounds like certainly Kanye. compared to like a new artist that nobody's heard of before that, you know, has given up everything, half their publishing mm. and they only get a budget of a hundred thousand and you know, yeah, I, I just thought it of one, wasn't that. I just thought of one real quick before we get to what kind of what you've got going on now. Birdman said he makes $20 million a year off of <laughs> royalties from cash money. I bet he makes more than that, but yes. What? <laughs> Thank you. I bet it's more than that. It was a but on your show, and I said that that was true, and he said it wasn't. That's nuts. I bet it's more than that. I remember when I was going to sue them, I was like at 20 months in. You had in, to stand in line? And I, I, I was one of the first, so I didn't have okay. to stand in line. Others stood behind me, but that's okay. Um, I did get paid, by the way. I sued oh, them. Nice. I did get paid. It didn't even have to go to court, which was a great thing. But anyway, um, I had to figure out like how much money had they made in that 20 month period. And it was $70 million. Yeah. 20, 20 years then. Let me ask and you. And what year was that this? Was a lot of money. What, what, around what era was this? Um, the beginning. So juvenile, BG. In the nineties, <laughs> yes, the first, the first, like two years, twenty months of their existence, they 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 cashed out seventy million dollars. Because at this point, I was trying to figure out, okay, how much do they owe me when I sue them? You know, so I was figuring out, okay, here's how many records they sold, here's the percentage they got. I did the deal; I knew what the numbers were. Yeah. So when I figured it out, I'm like, wow, seventy million. So Let's just say they made 70 million in 98 to 2000, right? Roughly. Just the interest alone, if they had invested wisely, he's creaming more than 20 million a year. So and we're keeping you long, so we'll let you go. But I, I have to know, we have this conversation a lot. We'll see artists that maybe had one song and they'll be around Atlanta and they're still driving fancy cars. And I know you don't know their bank account, but could you live the rest of your life off of one successful song? Like, let's say it's Ain't I with Young L.A. You think, or Young Dro with Shoulder Lean or something like that, do you think that they would be able to live rather It's hard to answer that because I don't know what their deal was. But uh -huh. um, let's look at Little Donald, who had um, Do Better. I worked with mm -hmm. him. 2018, 2019, and 2020, up until about COVID. When COVID hit, I kind of focused more on my own company to keep my head above water, right? So he walked away probably somewhere between 1.5 to 2 million as an independent. And we only worked that song in the Southeast. We didn't work it nationally. Mm. So just to put that into perspective, if you're working one song and you own a hundred percent of everything, yeah, you could probably, if you invest properly yeah. the money and you don't you're piss smart. it away right. when it comes back in, yeah, you could probably do pretty well, especially if you're buying other income producing assets mm. like real estate or a business. Okay. That's crazy. What, uh, tell us about power moves. What's that about? Um, power moves is a company that helps, artists that have investors we help them make money with their music so they come to us to show them how to put music out into the marketplace and build careers 
And they do it for two reasons. One is either to stay independent, to make the lion's share of the money, or they're doing it to build leverage because they want to go shop a deal. Mm, okay. So when okay. you see me working with little Donald or trouble or, you know, the artist from Karen Crow or whoever I'm working with, that's what power moves is. And then I'm building an incubator called artist centric. And that's for an artist that doesn't quite have the quarter million dollars that it takes to get to the next level. And they come into the incubator. It's really an accelerator, but we don't understand the difference in hip hop. So I call it an incubator, there you go. <laughs> but they come into the incubator and they've got to have some money. They've got to have some skin in the game, but while they're in the incubator, we split income, never ownership, but we split income. And then we teach them how to make money with their music, just like we do at Power Moves, but it's for the artists that don't really have investors. And then we become their partner until they're ready to leave. And that takes about two or three years. Remember I said, it's a slow flip. And when they leave, they leave with 100% ownership Mm. of their publishing of their masters. So we're really only sharing in the income while we're teaching them how to do this. And then we kind of push them out of the nest so that they can go and either sign to a major label or stay independent and use what we've taught them. But ideally I would love for artists to stay independent yeah. because then they own hundred percent of everything. Guys, I highly recommend y'all follow Wendy on IG. The free game is ridiculous. Wendy, we appreciate it. We thank you for pulling up for the third time. I watch everything you do, the IGs, the whole nines. We appreciate it. I'm about to I'm about to do more. You know, I have a YouTube channel where I keep all my videos. And I noticed um, a couple of weeks ago, they're getting a little bit old and ragged looking. Okay. So I'm about to start a whole new series. And then um, I've been I've been filming content to build an educational website. Mm. So in a minute, you're going to see a whole website devoted towards how, helping people put out their own music when they don't have the necessary funding. Um, and shout out to Dame Dash too. Like he always talks about passing the plug. We've got the studio space right here in Atlanta. We know you're local here as well. If you ever need a space, holler at us. We got you. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Absolutely. To the next time. We appreciate it. it again, please. Thank take you. It let's easy. let's not wait another seven years though. Let's <laughs> well, let's, let's not. talk again before that. Let's definitely do that. We you can will. come to the studio since we're past all the COVID stuff. <laughs> and thanks for doing this. Like I know that there's not a lot of money in what you do. I love that you're doing this because you really just care. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful for both of you. Absolutely. You. And to the next time, Wendy, and thank your team. you. <laughs> and your whole team. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. You. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. We are back. Windy day, man, for the third time, man. That was amazing. Flames. I, I definitely enjoyed that. Dude, she's so dope. Man, she cool as fuck. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, she give a lot of good gems, but she just like a generally a nice-ass person. If I rapped, I'd definitely work well. If you had $250,000. Oh, yeah, I got to have 250 bands, too. <laughs> but if, start. if I rapped and had a Can't quarter just ticket. Like her, yeah. <laughs> Can't just like her. You have to bring the check, too. <laughs> Shout out to Wendy Day, though, yeah, man. Absolutely, man. She, that was a dope interview. I, I love all the insight that she gives and just how much knowledge she shares. Uh, definitely dope. On the house, too. Absolutely, man. Let's start with some wins and some losses before we get out of here, man. An L to your man, Big Sean. Mm. In that Nori video, excuse me, in that Nori interview with Drink Champs, Kanye West said, well, excuse me, Big Sean responded to it after Kanye West said all the shit that he said. And Big Sean said, that nigga owe me six million. Since yep. he want to say all of that, where my six million at? Yeah, that's an L. And actually, he took an L because Kanye said that Big Sean, signing Big Sean was the worst 
thing that he's done. I thought that was a stretch. I think he was reaching a little bit. I understand him his beef with John Legend because John Legend, he pretty much he must have known he was off the label because he shitted on him during his little presidential run. John Legend. But I don't remember Big Sean doing that, so I, I was a little confused, man. Somebody pull up the clip where Sean shitted on Kanye's presidential run. I didn't see it, <laughs> so I'm confused at what Kanye was tight about. But calling him a sellout was a reach, and I don't like that good music is just falling apart like that. Like that's whack. Nigga called John Legend the light skinned ass nigga. He said, man, you know that light skinned John you know Legend. That, shit. Shit. that was funny. Man, that was funny as fuck. <laughs> Who knew Kanye West was funny? A W to your man, the baby. He's back better than ever. Brand new tour uh, with, um, what is it, Rolling Loud? Really? He's got, yeah, a brand new everything, man. And he's announcing a brand new mixtape as well. What do you think about this W? Yeah, he got the he got the green light from the LGBT. They said they were going to raise up off of him, let him cook. Uh, I wonder how much he paid them. I wonder what the check looked like <laughs> or the, deno- the donation, I should say, what that looked like. Because they gave him the green light, which is just, I don't know, it's kind of weird that an organization yeah, said them, it's okay for him to. saying, okay, now we believe he can do it is disgusting. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where that nuts. came from. But uh, shout out to the baby, man. I'm interested to see what he got, what type of music he makes moving forward, and if he can grow as an artist. No. That's how you tell you, tell you right now. <laughs> I had a W and an L, mm. the very rare two-in-one a legend is wrapping up his hip-hop career. Scarface is performing his last show as a rapper. Okay. Ever. November 12th at the House of Blues in Houston. He may come back in a different genre. Okay. That's crazy. But he's just not a rapper. He may come back in a different genre. Mm-hmm. He said he may do alternative music or blues. Oh, no. Would you go to that show? Yes, last Scarface show. I'm in. That's gonna be hard. That's gonna be hard as fuck. I'm not even that deep in the, into Scarface like that, but even I would attend that because that'd just be something dope. I wish he would have done Friday. it. Oh well, shit. I wish you'd have done it in more than one place, but then I guess technically that wouldn't be your last show. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, but triple salute to Scarface, though, man. Um, where you got him on your top fifty? Is he top ten? Scarface is top five for me. I don't believe that. Maybe top three. Now you're just pouring on the gas. <laughs> Respectfully though, shout out to Scarface. He dope as fuck. Definitely top five for me. Um, on Decker of the Week, man, I'm gonna go ahead and give this one to Roddy Rich. He said he was gonna donate his fee that he made from performing to the victims of uh, that of Astro World. So salute to Roddy Rich. He actually stepped up first and I believe was the first artist to do something toward this. So triple salute to him. Um donating his fee, man. Ain't no telling what that was, but I'm sure they could, they'll take it. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. Shout out to Roddy Rich. Uh, real quick before we get out of here, uh, we said hi- November was Hip Hop History Month. I wanted to mention something because uh, we told a story last time. I wanted to talk about the first time we went to Revolt. Do you remember Travis Scott walking around Revolt like he was just a regular person? This was before he was Travis Scott Scott, though. And he was walking around with his head down, kind of caught tall, linky dude, walking around with a white lady, would not look anybody in the eyes, <laughs> and when I noticed him, I was like, damn, dude look weird, anti-social as fuck. And then probably about two hours later when they, we had the performance out front and they go to the stage, Travis Scott, and he comes out there in front of probably 50 people and he turned that bitch up as if he was at Astro World. And I remember when we were like, we were right there like, damn, this nigga energy is crazy. He was crowd surfing and we got it on video too. I don't know where that video is, but... He was turned up, man. So that, I thought that was very interesting. That was like 2014. That was the, probably the second revolt we went to. And the weird thing yep. is, I was talking to my guy Scoops, but when as we seen the news again, the second week he made the story. But when we seen the news broke, and I told the exact story that you did, I yep. said, "Dude, 
I seen Travis Scott in revolt. I said 30 people. I said, man, it was Yeah, it might have been 30. I said, dude, it may have been 30 people, and yep. he was going absolutely ape shit. Yeah. Like, I'm talking about throwing water <laughs> on the crowd. You couldn't have told him that it wasn't 100,000 people there, dude. <laughs> and that was in 2014. So, so I 100% remember that. Way before the Nike deal. Facts. Uh, what you got to put me on? Uh, been a lot of good TV, man. If you didn't, mm. you don't watch Yellowstone, man. That nope. shit was fire. Um, I got three texts in my phone right now. Said that first eleven minutes may have been the best eleven minutes of TV history. Hyperbole at its finest. Period. Nope. Uh, but that's not my put on for the week. If you're not watching those, watch them. Michael Eric Dyson was on Bill Maher. Mm. Uh, that shit was absolutely fire. They were talking about the Democratic struggles in Virginia and the race that they just lost and critical race theory. Mm. Uh, there was another black dude on there who was speaking against it, and Michael Eric Dyson was speaking for it. Both of them were bringing some fire-ass points. So mm. if you're not really sure about what critical race theory is, you've been hearing a lot of people talk about it. Bill Maher's section with Michael Eric Dyson uh, Friday was fire. I fuck with Michael Eric Dyson, though. Yeah, he was a beast. Um, my put on is actually a put off. Uh, I went to see Eternals over the weekend. Why? Because it's Marvel, nigga. We get the MCU. I don't miss none of these Marvel movies, nigga. Angela Jolie being the lead superhero in any movie in 2021 <laughs> is nuts. Shout out to Angela Jolie. That's nuts. Um, it was some mid, and I'm a Marvel fanatic, and this was bottom tier. Guys, wait till it come out on Redbox. Do Redbox still exist? Facts. Redbox still posted up. <laughs> Right there in the front of Publix. Man. I said that shit like, damn, is that shit still available? Redbox still posted up right there outside of Kroger in front of Publix. Wait till this come out on Disney Plus. You can skip this. I'm not saying it's trash. It was just some mid Marvel standards are too high to be dropping shit like this. They needed some filler leading up to this Spider Man. Just wait on that Spider Man in December. It's over for Marvel. I'm Crazy as fuck. I'm gonna let you know right now, bro. It's over. Damn lie. It's over for this episode. On that note, um, again, follow your boy Animal underscore Brown. That is at I am Spike Lou. On Deck TV show is the page on Instagram as well. We out. Holla. 